0: You're listening to the FMC Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Alright, we're on. Uh, hello and welcome to the FMC Podcast. I'm Matt Spazali. And I'm Jonathan Keel. Uh, we're glad to have you with us today on what I th- I think is act- our 20th episode. Okay. Actually. Um, and... So we'll begin in the name of the Father and of the Son, Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we ask you to be with us. We mm-hmm. recognize um, your presence here with us. Ask you to give us the words that you want us to speak, Lord, uh, on this episode, and give us the uh, words that will open uh, hearts to you, mm. um, your message, to the peace and love that you wish to bring us. Um, we ask you to help us, Lord, to clear the path for you to enter us and transform us. Um, and uh, we ask that we speak words of love and mm-hmm. of truth yes, Lord. Um, today. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, this is a... <clears throat> think we've been talking about this podcast in various ways and have touched on on the issues that we want to talk about um in different ways uh in the different episodes that we've done Mm -hmm. um and i i don't even well i guess yeah i don't even know We'll, we'll find a title for for it uh after we're done, I think. But um, as as uh, FMC missionaries, we um, have devoted uh, one of our charisms is living out gospel poverty, mm-hmm. um, an idea uh, that you know, Jesus calls us to live simply, um, to share. With the poor to live in solidarity with them, and uh, to be poor ourselves, um, yeah. and it's a very di- We we've uh, <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to live, um, and a very difficult thing to preach about because we often are made. I think this is certainly, uh, the devil's influence. He, he wants to shut us up. And I think we, we avoid this topic of, um, wealth and luxury and money and the proper use of things. Like I know that I've avoided talking about it because I feel the backlash, um, from myself of like, well, you're not doing it perfectly. So How can you tell anybody else about this? Um, When, in fact, that's also, I mean, that's not the way that we approach any other aspect of Jesus' teaching in general. You know, we seek to proclaim the truth even Mm. if we're not living it perfectly. So we recognize that um, with lust or something that that may not be something that I'm doing perfectly on, but that doesn't mean that I have to never speak of Mm -hmm. what Jesus says about it and he's very stern um that it's that it's a bad thing and he's also very clear uh about wealth and riches and so we're we're diving into that um that that area and we'll see what see what he says and because because we want to know the truth we want to know the truth We want to be living in the truth and we don't need to be afraid of it Um, Mm -hmm. Jesus came to save us to set us free and we don't need to be afraid of his words they may challenge us and call us to change call us to do something different in our lives um, but that's there's nothing to fear Right. There's nothing to fear. And so, um, this, as you may hear already, uh, dear audience, that I'm dancing around a little bit because it's a sort of a big topic and one that's kind of difficult. And one we wanted to, um, approach it from an experience, some experiences that Jonathan recently had, um, doing mission appeals, because this is our perspective as missionaries, um, and as we interact with the church here in America and uh, around the world uh, we have a unique perspective yeah and so you you recently went and gave some mission appeals and we wanted to talk about the how that went and what the reaction was
1: yeah you know um and I, I... guess
0: sorry I should just to be clear what we mean by mission appeal is to go to a church a different a parish and at at mass or another function um tell them about uh FMC tell them about our mission um tell them about our you know individual family missions uh, the keel mission and to ask for support from the the congregation
1: mm-hmm. and you know that's it's interesting because um you know i think this topic uh, namely Uh, I call it economic relativism. The idea that the way that you use and spend your money is your decision. It's not really a moral decision. And also, it's not really a decision that uh, the church or God has any claim on. That what's right for you may not be right for me and vice versa, and although we hear a lot talked about in American churches especially about moral relativism, which basically just means uh, generally issues that involve what happens in the bedroom, these are, you know, highly uh, have, you might say, a great moral potential. And so they're spoken of often. They're debated. They're argued about. And also the results of what happens. So, for example, abortion. Uh, and we and we when we think of what are the most difficult issues for the church to uh, today to to speak on, I, I got on my Facebook page and I asked that question. It was amazing the question the the responses I got. Um, a lot of them just went on along the normal lines so for example um, you know contraception which I admit that's somewhat difficult to speak on abortion people said which I don't think at all is difficult to speak about uh, within a church setting right um, things like homosexuality which is can be somewhat challenging at especially to speak on it in a way that's loving and consistent with uh, magisterial teaching which I find is often lacking but I never. No one mentioned this topic of wealth and the way that we use our money. And yet, um, you know, when we talk about social justice, we talk about economic justice. As soon as you start saying those terms, most people will tune you out. Many people uh, they think you're being a leftist. They they it certainly have an encounter the church teaching. You know, I, I, my wife and I both graduated from Steubenville University, University of Steubenville, wonderful school. It never took a class, never heard a, a, a talk about social justice. Uh, I'm not saying it never happened, but uh, in the, in the circles we went, my wife I got her degree in theology and philosophy. It never was a topic that was discussed uh, outside of abortion and euthanasia. So yeah. on so many levels, being authentic to the gospel of Jesus means preaching in season in and out and I really feel like this is a topic it couldn't be more out of season <laughs> uh, in most places we have visited uh, over probably ten churches in the last couple of months and the amount of mention even of the poor in bulletins and in ministries uh, is is almost non-existent and I'm not saying if you go to a church somewhere and they do a lot of um, active work in in the community and in social justice you know that's a beautiful thing praise be to Jesus but I'm saying that many of the churches I went to were much more concerned about going on a pilgrimage to uh, some sacred site on a cruise to Alaska than, on the poor and on those who are uh, marginalized especially outside of our country and you know I I came across a couple passages recently as I've been reading scriptures and the first one that I thought was just really important for me as a missionary is from Matthew um, 25 Mm -hmm. and many of you have heard this it's the story of the last judgment And you know, when we think of the Last Judgment, although we may not say this so often, the way that we treat our religion and our faith and our relationship, whatever is the Christian uh, lingo you choose to use, we typically think of it as cerebral, just whether I've kind of, at some point in my life, made this mental acceptation of Jesus, whether I've said... You're my Lord. Whether I've given <clears throat> lip service to some particular doctrine, whether I have, uh, whether I believe the Eucharist is God's, is Jesus' real presence. Whether I've done whether any I voted
0: a certain way exactly,
1: uh, and we have you know Jesus on the other side telling us, giving us a story of the last, uh, the last judgment in the Gospel of Matthew, and in that story. The, what, what he judges um, those who stand before him are or uh, wh- where they stand is based on the way they treated the hungry, the thirsty, the foreigners, the naked, the sick, those in prison. And then when I think so much of Christian rhetoric today in the United States, uh, that is oftentimes not even in the background. Mm-hmm. When you hear discussion of foreigners, there's no discussion of mercy. There's no discussion of encountering Jesus in the foreigner. When we think of our enemies, there's no discussion of finding Jesus in our enemies, even though he says that what we do to them, we do to him, even though he commands us to love our enemies. We kind of just let all that go. And instead, Mm -hmm. we focus on building up the church in numbers or building a new I I saw many churches with building projects one place we went to uh, in particular I'm thinking of uh, you know there was we went to three or four masses and there were no young people uh, at any of the masses and um, at, at one point even Uh, They did children's ministry they offered and my children were the only ones who went, which was (laughs) extremely uh, bizarre. But what I've noticed is that what also is lacking in many of these parishes were the poor. And Mm -hmm. we see kind of this country club mentality that's come up where Christians so often seem to be more concerned with just having a nice looking church that's really comfortable. The claim is, I know even in our town, there was a certain parish that built, it was one of the statues in their church was half a million dollars. It was very scandalous to me. But the claim was that uh, this was to help them better worship God, but I thought like, my God, there's there are entire you know communities uh, throughout the world that don't even have a church or that church is dilapidated that's so broken down that a fraction of that amount of money could have built them a whole church Uh, and it gets very difficult and sometimes it can be uh, disheartening as a missionary because it's like uh, one of the one of my friends a missionary once said you know a priest friend of his went to missions just this week or just this year to Haiti and he said it was like taking the red pill from the beginning of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. It was like his eyes were opened. He had never seen, known. And I think, you know, our job as missionaries is to open eyes as Jesus did. So often we just pass by our brothers and sisters in need, like the priest or like the Levite, who were both religious men. They probably felt very comfortable in the fact that they were holy. Uh, You know, what's what's fascinating in all the last judgment scenes to me is that everyone is surprised Everyone Hmm. is surprised. They're like wait what but we in another scene They said but we prophesied in your name, but we cast out demons in your name I, I thought but we went to Latin mass but we went to holy hour but we went to daily mass, but we prayed the rosary you could list off any number of rituals that we do, as good as they might be, but in the end...
0: Yeah, if they're not transforming us and calling us to something more, then that's... Yeah, if we're receiving the Eucharist every week and it doesn't do anything, then we're letting Jesus rot inside of us. Right. It's- and
1: I'm, I mean we could think of the the second chapter of James, the letter of James, such a wonderful book, and he says... Uh, what can it profit my brother if a man says he has faith and has not works can this faith save him so often we put this in just like this apologetic context like right. oh, this is a verse we need to learn about to talk with our you know Protestant that's no that goes on if a brother or sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food and let me tell you most of the world brothers and sisters is ill-clad and in lack of food most of the world and one of you says to them Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. I can imagine. I'll pray for you, brother. You know, like, uh, hey, it's gonna. Everything's gonna be great. Without giving them the things they needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And if you have dead faith, where does that leave you?
0: I think um, it's. Uh, As you said, uh, like, in Matthew 25, the people are shocked, you know, and they're surprised. And that part of this is, you know, we talked before the podcast, like, man, we don't want people... We don't want people to feel like we're attacking them. Um, And if if you... I hope that we've generated... If you've been listening, we've generated enough goodwill (laughs) uh, with our (laughs) thirteen listeners um, to let you know that we love you, and we're um, we're trying to bring this to you so that I don't know if you find yourself saying, "Well, I don't see any poor people in my life. I don't really. Everybody seems okay." we have to share what we've seen and tell you that there are poor people there are people who literally fit the description that jesus um and scripture tells us about people who do not have food there are people uh all over the world in extreme poverty and and right here in in america and so at the very least if you don't see poor people regularly Go find them. Go find them. You can... I I challenge you, whoever you are, to go find the poor. Yeah. And and see... Just talk to them. Talk to them. See what you can do.
1: I would even go further and say, you know, Jesus tells us... You have to. Yeah. Jesus tells his disciples, his disciples, not just the 12, but he tells his disciples, the poor you will have with you always. Hmm. And my question to you, if you know no one who is poor, is how can you possibly be a disciple of Jesus? How could you possibly be a disciple of Jesus if you do not have the poor with you? Because Jesus, that's the kind of the quality, that's one of the central qualities of Jesus, but also of his disciples, is that they have the poor with them because that is where they discover Jesus. In first, uh, the letter of First John, the letter of love, it says, But if anyone, in 3.17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. So often we love in word Mm -hmm. so often we love in word we love to sing songs in church that are just you know tell us we love to 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 listen to ourselves tell each other how much jesus loves us we love to say uh you know he is so jealous for me oh how he loves me we like to we like that language we like to talk about how special we are how wonderful we are because jesus loves us and I, I, you know, I, I can't help but feel like there's something in that that is true, but also something in that it, that's kind of, you know,
0: distorted, di- very
1: yeah. distorted, you know, because we also look at our neighbors and we're not singing. We're not spending the $32 we spend to go see, you know, Matt Marr and uh, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, he writes so many of these songs, you know, this Christian oh, yeah. concert. Uh, we're not spending that same 32 dollars on Jesus in the street but we'll we'll drop a hundred to go and have a wonderful time uh you know singing about how much god loves us and I can't help but think of the words from the book of ezekiel you know we think of sodom and gomorrah and <laughs> we get all upset about you know we we assume of course they're talking about homosexuals and we and of course there's all sorts of people throughout our country and in our church who will come down hard on um, our, our same-sex attraction brothers and sisters but notice what Ezekiel does and he wasn't uh, very liked he was thought of as crazy as most of the um, the the prophets who had to speak out on this very issue he says in 1649 behold this was the guilt of your sister Sodom She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. And that's an abomination in the eyes of God. Hmm. You know, when we think of social justice, it's not a political issue. It's a Jesus issue. Jesus says that when we don't act justly towards our neighbor, we... Are unfaithful to him yeah. and that's what we read in that last judgment scene it's not a scene where we're gonna be able to say but Lord you know I think of the in Luke Luke has one of the strongest parables uh, against this anywhere maybe this is one of the strongest places in the scriptures and it's in Luke 16 um, and in this it's called the rich man and Lazarus is the, the story people give it but there's a rich man He's clothed in purple and fine linen, it says, 1619. He feasts sumptuously every day. That's all we know about him. It doesn't say he was stuck up. It doesn't say he worshiped the wrong way. It doesn't say he didn't go to church or to temple. It doesn't say anything. But it says that at his gate, outside of view, lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores and then that's it and they died but you know what in the, after they died Lazarus was with Abraham and the rich man who is goes without a name is in for all intents of purposes hell and you know Jesus it's it would be tough for a priest or a pastor today to, to give this message. Uh, it would probably lower the collection. You know, a lot of pastors live very comfortably as well. I, I have seen, we've traveled throughout the world. Um, and it, this is something that affects all of us. It affects all of us. But it's something that we can't, you know, I can't sit up here and tell you it's okay to think lustful thoughts because I struggle with it. Right. Which I do. You know, I can't come up here and tell you it's it's okay to be jealous because I am jealous or envious, which I am, you know, and I can't, I can also come up and challenge you brothers and sisters in Christ to live more faithfully the gospel message right. that's been preached for, I mean, uh, you don't you have a quote from, uh, Leo the Yeah. we have this, um, you yeah, know, this This huh. goes...
0: So, Rerum Novarum, 1891. Um, so. so
1: this is, you know, o- over 100 years ago. This isn't some new liberal thing. This is long before the <laughs> Communist Revolution. <laughs> yeah. This is long before, you know, the, uh, the left were able to come up with... You know, this is long before the the liberal media and all the other common scapegoats that I've heard over the last couple months that people use to just... Right. Yeah, I mean, and and that's... uh, Before I read
0: the quote, another um, point that I think we've we've made it at some other time in these episodes, but what we don't want to do is to view the message of Jesus through the lens of our American political uh, perspective or persuasion. We want Jesus to be the lens with which we view everything else in our lives. Um, And so if the message of Jesus, you know, I I think we often feel like, well, okay, here's... um, The church is uh, on the left on these issues of social justice, and the church is on the right on these issues of um, reproductive... (laughs) rights and sexuality, and so if I'm a Republican then I'm gonna agree with the church on abortion, but I don't agree with the church on what they say about wealth, and vice versa. If I'm a Democrat I agree with this or that. That's a distorted life view. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we're Christians we have to be Christ-centered in our Understanding of the world around us has to be Christ-centered, not, you know, our politics need to flow from our convictions as Christians, not the other way around. So this is this message. If you feel like, oh, these guys are liberal, not only, uh, you know, uh, we've talked before about. I, I mean, I'm very frustrated by liberal and. Con- those two terms because I think they just make people's blood boil to an extent that they're just not even useful in discussion because you, we can't see past those. Um, I I would challenge you to forget about that label and, and ask yourself, does this actually sound like stuff that Jesus said? And we're reading from scripture and we're, we're reading from uh, the, The church, which is guided by the Holy Spirit, Um, so you know, and I, I, you mentioned you you mentioned the youth uh, not being in church, and um, it's not it it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that kids are not attracted to our watered down message and version of the gospel. It's not. It's not interesting. Is not at all interesting to bang on about abortion every homily. Um, I... Abortion is wrong and needs to be stopped. But that is not the whole message of the gospel. Amen. The whole message of the gospel is not about one issue. It's about everything in our lives and it's fascinating the gospel is if we don't find it fascinating we don't find it interesting if we don't find it revolutionary then we're not reading it properly yeah, yeah. Um, it is explosive it mm-hmm. it can change your life like if you're wondering what is the meaning of life we talk here about that or I just feel I don't know I just um, I don't feel like I have any purpose. Jesus gives us purpose and it doesn't have to be gray and bleak and sad. And, you know, th- that's not what Jesus wants for our lives. He wants yeah. to come in, shake things up, mm-hmm. make it mm-hmm. uh, interest, make it fascinating. And, and since I, uh, I mean, I feel like I've been on this path for a long time and gone sideways and, and back and forth trying to follow Jesus, but um, since you know, in the past like three years and certainly since I became since I joined FMC and have tried to live is because me joining FMC is just a part of me in my life trying to find out how can I personally live out the call of Jesus the best yeah, I can yeah. and that's, it's The way that god has presented himself to me has been to go in this direction um and it's like i'm i'm getting married in less than two months (laughs) yeah it's like that has only happened because i met kylie during this because i followed the lord in this direction so the Lord has great things for us if we follow Him. Mm-hmm. It will require mm-hmm. sacrifice. Um, but it, it doesn't... I don't know. This, this would never have happened to me. Um, the, the greatest joy of my life would not have happened to me if I was pursuing um, a career in, in law. If I continued on that path... This was not going to happen. Um, something, some watered-down version of it might, would have happened, maybe. Um, a bland, uninspiring version of it. But not not this. Not this amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about this. It's not to condemn you if, or anyone. or It's to call you on to right. joy.
1: And you know, one of the things that's been actually shocking to me but maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised but I I came into the church during the uh, during the jubilee year it was under John Paul II Mm. who I loved and then Pope Benedict came along whom I loved Uh, and then Pope Francis comes along whom I love and you know under John Paul II and Pope Benedict you would hear many of the people I was around that I, I spent time with They would be you'd hear them talk about cafeteria catholicism Mm -hmm. and this you know an anger at catholics who you know uh basically uh rejected the church's teaching on things like abortion or more contraception or gay marriage or any number (laughs) of these like very uh you know i guess you could say right leaning um issues issues that the republican party would call out or you know um as i sometimes jokingly say gopwtn um but then you but then you find that um since pope francis has come on and chosen to accentuate aspects of our faith which are in no way lacking from any of the popes right They've all been saying these issues which is one thing we've tried to bring out yeah. I mean you can go back all the way like we just did to Leo the 13th you could see the same thing in Benedict the sixteenth and uh, John Paul the second over and over again the guy wrote three encyclicals on social justice no one's done that you know he's written the most and but he's there these these same uh, people I once respected i've I've grown sad because now they're the cafeteria Catholics right. and now they're the ones who like, you know, m- my teenage son might say, well, h- you know, h- how far do I, ha- how far can I go with this girl? You know, can I, is this okay? Like they want to know what's the very minimum. minimum, yes. And that's the same thing you hear with Catholics so often. Like, well, you know, um, that wasn't authoritative. So we don't have to listen to it. Uh, Or, you know, these questions about how much we really have to listen to the magisterium uh, and so forth, or just an outright rejection. And the usual way to reject, I have found, very few Catholics, even clergy, uh, who use Catholic teaching to point out where... Something I said, which has obviously offended them, is wrong. They simply deny it by their own authority, by their own opinion, just like a decade ago, the reason why someone doesn't accept... Um, Pope Paul VI encyclical teaching on contraception in 1968 all of the ridiculous arguments that I would hear my students or people give which basically amounted to well why should I you haven't proven anything to me and I don't like it I have the right to my own view the same nonsensical but self-centered pontificating I have heard for a couple years now when you mention something like the 1967 encyclical um called Populorum Progressio by the same Pope within the same you know year and a half or so they'll just throw it to the curb like it's nothing and why because I have the right to believe the way I want because everyone knows that's liberal I've actually quoted from Pope Paul VI, by the way, on Facebook, and had people write to me just by putting that quote and say, If I quote any more from this document, they will, they're threatening to stop becoming our benefactors. And, you know, these are, I don't bring these up to put down anybody, but rather there is a great fear on both sides. You see a fear. You know, uh, with people fearful that the church wants to steal all the joy out of their sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. I see it when we go to give mission appeals and people are shocked when uh, we walk up with our seven kids. You could (laughs) see, uh, you know, we've gone to parish after parish. Sometimes we walk into the church and people look at us like, are you in the right place? You know, like this is supposed to be a quiet mass. They just assume the kids are going to act up. They're going to, you know, and we, we never cease on getting people say you know for the most part your kids did great um but then you'll see the same thing like w- these fears uh, that the church's views on which aren't mm-hmm. by the way this just the church's views they they go all the way back to the early church i mean saint thomas aquinas said Uh, Whatever we have, he says in the Summa, whatever certain people have in superabundance is due by natural law, this isn't even charity, to the purpose of succoring the poor. St. Ambrose says it's no less a crime to take from him that has, in other words to steal, it's no worse a crime to steal than to refuse to help the needy when you can and are well off. How many of you have ever heard those quotes? How many, you know, even ministers of the cloth, uh, you know, wouldn't feel threatened by these? I mean, these are these are important uh, topics that, uh, you know, are really challenging. Pope Benedict in his last encyclical, which is actually extremely radical, I think, it's called Charity and Truth. Um, he wrote it in 2009, or at least it was promulgated at that time. He actually wrote that... In 30 section 37 the church's social doctrine has always maintained that justice must be applied to every phase of economic activity he says thus every economic decision has a moral consequence the way as as uh, Leo told us earlier we use our money the things that we have and the people we choose to help or choose not to help have eternal consequences you know it reminds me of that great quote from the movie the gladiator when he's telling his soldiers they are about to go off to battle and he says what we do in life echoes through eternity mm-hmm. and it's that's such a a powerful quote but yeah. it's it's true in this area as well for us so so jesus tells us
0: yeah um yeah it's a uh i don't know it's a it's it's Nice to, to talk about about this because we've been we've been talking about it sort of behind the scenes, in a, in the sense of this podcast, um, and it's jumped up. But I actually I think that this is I don't know. I feel like we're Chris yep. Tomlin.
1: The Sorry, guy. <laughs> that was the guy with Matt Maher. They were on tour in our town, right. Um, and you know
0: I, I guess it it should go without saying but there's nothing we're not saying that there's something wrong with Christian music saying that Jesus loves us that's a that is a perfect perfectly true message but when it's the only one that we find, we need to. If we're not grounded in Scripture, we would never know. Mm-hmm, we would never mm-hmm. know just by listening to Christian radio that we are that God asks uh, any change in our lives, really. Um, right. And and that that's what that's the point of our criticism would be that um, we're getting an easy version of of the story mm-hmm.
1: um and you know when you think of I'll, I'll give you a quick little story that i think has helped me in a way but i want you to imagine for a moment that you know um i'm a, a let's just pretend that matt and i this would never happen but opened up a daddy daycare if you've seen that movie you know <laughs> with the two dads uh, it's pretty funny i watched my kids the other day we opened up a daddy daycare and we just uh, you know some of the older kids at the daddy daycare we wanted them to help us out to help them become more responsible to learn um, loving of the their younger uh, siblings in some cases and just younger classmates and so we brought out pictures of juice and um, cups and we brought out pictures of juice and there was enough in those pictures of juice for everybody to have an entire full cup, including the people who are pouring it. And we gave it to the older kids. And, um, and so with the understanding that this is not their juice to use however they want. This is a juice that they've been given to go and share with the other kids. And so I want you to imagine now, you know, these Let's just say there's three different, uh, you know, ten-year-olds who have their, they're going to their four and five-year-old siblings, you know, and the first kid goes up and he, he tells that kid, you know, I don't like you, uh, you didn't give me your car. This is a common type of thing here in my house. You didn't give me my car, that car, so you only get half a glass. Then he goes, to the next one just says, you smell bad, I don't like you then maybe goes the next one says oh man you're my best buddy because you know you let me play your Kindle and so I'm gonna give you two glasses and then you know he's just pretty tired out and so he just says the rest of you forget it I'm not getting anything today and he goes back and drinks you know six glasses to himself Uh, we wouldn't we would first of all call that unjust I would you know, or Matt, as we've walked in, would hopefully you know, look at that boy and correct him. He would be held responsible for misusing that juice, which was for everybody. Um, but this is kind of the Catholic traditional way of using, of, of viewing private goods, period. Whether it's private property or just things that we own. Is that, as Leo tells us all the way back in the 1800s, you know, that our wealth, the things that God has given us, is subordinated to a social use it's called a social mortgage in other words the things that you have are not just as aquinas tells us to be used however you want but the difference is that as the things that i own i get to choose how they're given out who they're given to that's the blessing i have of the things that i have Mm -hmm. That's stewardship Mm -hmm. but the thing about it is so often what's happened and so uh, when we go back to Aquinas, you know, when I give from my surplus, so go back to that story of the boy with his juice. When I give from that surplus, so I pour my cup, and now the rest is not what belongs to everyone else, I've gotten what I need. Then when I give from that surplus, it's justice. It's not charity. It's justice. Then let's say I poured all the cups the juice is gone about to drink my own and a little boy comes up He's crying. He says I want a little bit more So I give him half of my own cup That is charity when we give from our need from our what what belongs rightly not even belongs but what we need to use and yet what's happened in modern culture really not through anything to do with the Catholic faith as much as just uh you know a common way of looking at uh with the way we own things in our country and probably there's some uh you know other issues politically or, or maybe you know ideologically but nevertheless the way we look at it more or less today is all the juice is mine and if i give you any of it you should be grateful yeah, and be there's probably celebrate. some strings attached you go you're gonna rub my back or you're gonna give me your car and we call that person generous. And, you know, God someday is going to walk back into this room, brothers and sisters. Mm. And he's going to demand an account. He's going to demand an account of how we used it. That's right. Yeah, I think...
0: I want to I be able to at least tell him that I tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I think... As you try to live this out it, it is a it's a difficult teaching it just like you know just like all of the other you know, yeah teachings are it's not easy to follow Jesus <clears throat> it requires something of us and so um, but I want to I I, I want to at least start mm-hmm. by by being able to tell the Lord look I tried, I, I know that I didn't do it great, but I heard your word and I tried to act on it. Um, and you know, we, I, I went to, I talked about this in in another podcast, but I went to this, um, Catholic missions conference in Orlando. Um, just, you know, and just right there is already sort of a red flag. Like what? going to Orlando for a missions, co- what is that uh, you know, this is a resort place you know um, and I won't go, uh, but I told the, the people this it, the, when I was there that from my perspective it felt like the church wasn't even trying, it's one thing to say okay well then uh, we should all this should be a week uh, this should be a a, week, a weekend retreat where we fast and live out in the woods and that's where we need to have our conference. Maybe that w- would be great. I'm not saying that, that is, that's necessary, but it should at least appear to someone that we are making an attempt mm-hmm. to... Choose a simpler option, as as Pope Francis has put it. um, And again, that's in line with everything that all the other popes have said, uh, who've spoken on these issues. Um, It's it's like, if you're on a church council, um, if you're the pastor of a church, and you're presented with um, another renovation project, we have to we have to take this into account when making that decision mm-hmm. we have to take into account is this the right choice um, and I'm not saying that every time it won't be uh, if your church is falling down and not serving its function um I, I don't think it's illegitimate to have <laughs> to have a structure but I know what's unquestionably legitimate is to serve the poor, mm-hmm. um, and if that's not even a part of the calculation, then we're not doing it right. If a if a thought for the poor is not even given when another one of our endless renovation projects or Whatever comes up in church, um, that's, uh, that's mm. injustice, and we're not following Christ properly. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, I think of this a quote from uh, a, a wonderful exhortation by um, Blessed Paul the VI, Evangelii Nunciandi, which is talking about evangelizing in the modern world. And he says, You know, the world calls for and expects from us simplicity of life. The spirit of prayer, charity towards all, especially towards the lowly and the poor. Obedience and humility, detachment and self-sacrifice without this mark of holiness. Remember this mark of holiness. Hmm. Our word will have difficulty in touching the heart of modern man at risk being vain and sterile. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I have seen some, at least on the surface level, uh, sterile looking... (laughs) Um, churches and services over the last couple years, I have I'm not and I have I have experienced in my own heart some sterility, some vanity, but I do believe that even on a parish level, and you know, I think parishes can sometimes be the most guilty of this excess. When you look at uh, the amount, you know, do when parishes when a pastor stands up and challenges me to give. You know, uh, quote some Mother Teresa quote that's, you know, it, it kind of like the church gets some of these quotes together when it's time for stewardship, um, uh, you know, Sunday. Give um, from your need, and it'll say things like give when it hurts. My, I, I want to do that. I really do, and I, and I hope that I do. But I want to challenge, you know, how many churches are doing that? You know, how many parish communities are giving, not just back to themselves, you know, not just kind of, well, I'm going to give so that we can build this bigger gymnasium for millions of dollars. That's, you know, one place I visited is, is working on, um, you know, but what about adopting? and you know a beautiful thing I've seen is what if one of these rich churches, if you're, you know, community adopted a community in a a, um, developing country you know like some poor uh, South African or um, you know somewhere in Sudan like another parish and help them build a church where the priest could celebrate mass where the priest could raise the host and call down the host of heaven an escort of God Jesus in the flesh to come down and touch the earth what if you could do that for someone in a developing country that Instead of just well, we're gonna we're gonna rebuild. I don't really like the way the wood carving is on the back list. So let's spend you know a million dollars on a new one, a uh, million dollars mm-hmm. on an altar, which I'm telling you right now is not uncommon in this country. A million dollars on an altar, you know, uh, half a million dollars on a baptismal font. We're yeah, I mean we're not,
0: I we're not losing people from the church because. The churches aren't pretty enough. Amen. We're not losing people. People aren't feeling. Um, you know, I, I we lose people from the church because they they don't feel like it offers them anything, and it doesn't look like we actually stand for the things that we say. Um, it's not because the I, I I guarantee you. I mean, there are churches that I've been to in Mexico and and in. In Africa that smell horrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there are people packed in them yeah, yeah and they find because they're finding the person of Christ they recognize their need for him mm-hmm. praise God Amen. and um, they they're there it's not I mean I and I honestly uh, I, I apologize to some of my brothers and sisters in malawi like i remember seeing some hideous artwork in (laughs) in one of the churches like they had a statue of jesus that was made like they had gotten from china and so it just didn't look right at all but they were very happy to have it right um and i just (laughs) i like recoiled at it but um, it's that wasn't you know I don't know I guess that, that could be sort of a different issue but um, there was some you know there's artwork that you might, might not like that's I, I would argue strongly that what turns people away from our churches is that we, it looks like we don't practice what we preach mm-hmm. um, that we're really not offering a message, we're not offering the true message of Christ and so it doesn't seem interesting, it's not attractive. Um, I mean
1: our standards of living, I had this sad, uh, I I met a wonderful person uh, while I was on uh, traveling and uh, this person came up to me and they said, we've been wanting to support your family for some time now Which I didn't really, I wasn't looking for support on this particular occasion. But they said, uh, you know, and the markets finally are getting better. And we could do that now. And joking and aside, I mean, I was really blessed by that. But then joking as an aside, this person said, um, you know, we could have lowered our standard of living to be able to support you. But, uh, you know, we're Americans, we would never do that. (laughs) Ha ha ha. And I thought that was, it was so sad to hear that. I didn't feel angry at all, but I felt really sad because I think a lot of Americans feel that way. We, we look into our pocketbooks where most Americans are, you know, uh, or at least the, the, they're out of shape. They're, the amount of money we spend on just, you know, workout gimmicks. There's high obesity. We're overeating. We're overconsuming. The popes have been speaking on it. We, we kind of like wait for Lent, hoping that somehow, you know, these kind of uh, practices that just, they're sterile, you know, it would be so easy to just connect with the poor, connect, uh, you know, living a more simplistic life will give you resources to help people, so, you know, and one of the things that I think is so troubling is that as we delve more and more into lives of luxury, you know, where coffee now becomes these uh, uh i've seen them all over oh they're they um what is it called it's like these little plastic cups you get it's a machine uh you, and you, instead and, of brewing coffee in an old-fashioned way you just put this oh the ke- this, uh, keurig, uh, yeah, keurig yeah keurig you know i went to bass pro shop with this mexican family uh who is now in peru but uh, they had uh, come up yeah. and we were looking at one of the boxes of this It was on sale and it was like 40. Um, servings for 17 or 18 dollars on sale you know and I was like man you know that's it might seem like okay you know like that was on sale but then like the amount of coffee you could buy normally right. and then take the excess or just to go at Starbucks it's even like 10 times worse but when you've come to a habit of these are things I need then you don't have an excess. You have nothing to give the poor. Yeah, you know because huh. instead of yes, yeah, it's saying,
0: transformed into necessity. Right,
1: and you know, and then you end up we because of oftentimes these luxury items, you end up buying really just low quality food. But it, what you notice so often is like we could buy better food, more just food, food from a you know um, free trade and other um, options if we just cut out luxuries in other ways. Right. And and so often we live, we spend hundreds on cable television, we don't think any, a thing about it. You know, we spend extra money on getting just Wi-Fi that's just a little bit faster. But we spend money on so many gimmicks and on so many things that putting us in debt is really, you know, one thing. But also we're bad stewards with the money, again, that's really not ours to use in that way god is counting on us like these this has been given so that we can help others and so often so many popes keep saying you know the rich get richer the poor get poorer and all of a sudden when we're living in that the poor become kind of like a burden the poor become like they annoy us the the foreigners become like these intruders who are You know, coming in to take what we have, like John Paul II said at great in his third encyclical, um, third social encyclical, Centesimus Annus, he said, uh, It will be necessary above all to abandon a mentality in which the poor are considered a burden as bothersome intruders trying to consume what others have produced. The poor ask for the right to share and enjoying material goods and to make use of their capacity for work, thus creating a world that's more just and prosperous for all. The advancement of the poor constitutes a great opportunity for the moral culture and even economic growth of all humanity. This isn't just being You're not just being called to out of kind of a commandment, which is certainly it is a commandment. This is the commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. You are being commanded to lay down your life for those, not just like your kid, but also not just your wife or your family, but also those who are the most difficult to lay down your life for. The ones Jesus came for, his enemies, the poor, those who were far off from him, though we were strangers, though we were enemies, Jesus laid down his life. That's the love that we're being called to. That's the love of the gospel. And so often, I mean, these these are topics that are exciting. These are topics that will change your life, (laughs) will blow you back, lay you out (laughs) on the ground and you wake up and it's like Damascus road, you know, But, but so often what happens instead is it's like, okay, today you know god calls us to you know go to confession more it, we we just kind of get this back into the church back into the liturgy like we need these these ways of living our faith that are radical so that when we go back to the liturgy it makes sense yeah yeah it, it i think this
0: taking, um, these issues seriously has made the gospel coherent mm-hmm. for me. Amen. You know, it, it's not, and I, I think that's a, yeah. you know, another reason why people can easily reject it is if we, if we're continually saying, well, Jesus didn't mean that. He, Jesus meant this or, well, he can't have meant that. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, I I feel like I saw the gospel in that way uh, for a long time and it just didn't seem, uh, worth following Mm -hmm, if it's mm -hmm. hollow, you know, if, if the words mean nothing, um, if Jesus isn't talking about anything of consequence, then why would you follow him? Why would you, and, uh... The apostles followed Jesus because they listened to him and, I mean, for, uh, you know, I'm sure many other, many reasons, but, I mean, they were interested in what he said, and he had a message that was life-changing for them, something that they, uh, these words that they died for, that they went. As went all around to preach um, and we have to ask ourselves did they do that I mean they they didn't just do that for some bland message that uh, doesn't call them on to anything they, they did it for something mm-hmm. revolutionary and mm-hmm. fascinating I, I'm recycling these words but it, I I you know, I'm sort of unable to um, Convey You know, I don't know read it for yourself. You'll you'll see Jesus does Puts it in better words than I do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I want to challenge you like I'm gonna give you some Passages that I'd love for our listeners to go back and just pray over you know if we mentioned uh, Luke 16 uh, You know uh, Really you could talk of all about luke 16 you know the pharisees in luke 16:14 are actually categorized as lovers of money and because of that when they hear these teachings of jesus they scoff at him so what you have though in luke 16 a number of different passages one of them you have jesus talking about in the only place that i know of uh this pericope of the of the new or at least of jesus's life We always think of people serving the devil. Well, Jesus never actually mentions devil worshipers, but he does give us one God that can be worshipped, one master that can be had Mm. that's not God. And you serve one or the other, apparently, according to Jesus. Uh, But you have God or you have mammon, riches. It's interesting Mm. that Jesus... Pits, riches, and God. You know, they, these are, you can't serve them both. And of course, in my experience, most people think, well, I'm not serving mammon. Um, and, you know, that's just a done deal. It's not, I don't serve mammon. I don't love money. Love of money, the root of evil. Well, I don't love money. Um, but we might ask ourselves, you know, do we spend more on our own pleasure than we do on the poor? I'm not saying our needs. Your needs are your needs, you know, my family needs to eat. But do I spend more on Netflix than I do on the poor? Doesn't mean I can't necessarily that I can't have Netflix, but if having Netflix means I have nothing to share with the poor, then I shouldn't have Netflix. Yeah. You know, if having, uh, do I need a 2018, you know, brand new truck? because I want a really reliable vehicle, even though I buy a new vehicle every couple years, because I really just say I need a reliable vehicle so that I feel better. When if it was reliable, you'd probably keep that truck for <laughs> a guess. long time because yeah. it's reliable. I hear that all the time. But, you know, um, do I really need that new truck or will that, as in our Kool-Aid you know, juice model, is that really not my money? You know, the church is very clear that that is not it's not a. you know uh, aquinas again in the summa says a man ought to possess external things not as his own but as common so that he is ready to communicate them to others in their need this is so important it's so different from what yeah. we're accustomed to hearing even i and i hate to say this because it saddens me but even among like many you know members of the clergy there there are many rectories we've seen uh over the years that you know are bigger than our house much bigger and nicer than any house I've ever lived in and I have never been in any way poor I think outside of uh, when we live in missions Uh, and it's one person and, I, and again someone's immediately gonna say you can't judge because that's what we do have you noticed that mm-hmm. whenever um, you know someone who's categorized as liberal is told you know they shouldn't uh, you know gay marriage is wrong they're gonna say who are you to judge you know and or when they're told you know abortion or who are you to judge that's kind of our go-to and then on the other side when you tell somebody this uh, message about money even though they'll critique the other person for using that argument, it's the the one everyone I've talked to goes to. Who yeah. are you to judge? You can't judge me. Uh, and you know the reality is that uh, this certainly is not a judgment coming from. I don't even know who you are out there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just teaching. I'm just telling you what the church teaches. I'm not trying to offend anybody, uh, although I'm not afraid of offending anybody, although I don't feel that um, an offense is, uh, offending somebody is in any way a sin. Uh, it can be, but it, I think done in love, you know what? You're going to offend people just by living the gospel.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: I think, you know, Um. I'd like to just maybe... Oh, so I mentioned Luke 16. Let me just mention a couple other yeah, passages. Yeah. So Luke 16, uh, if you, if you want to go to that. Matthew 25, which talks about uh, this last judgment. Um, Luke 14 is great. It talks about when you give a feast. Notice it doesn't say if you give a feast. It says hmm. when you give a feast, not just a little meal, a feast. Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and so on. Um, There is, according to Jesus, a time for, you know, luxury. But it's in the times of sharing, in the times of communal meals, in the times of uh, celebrations, and we see that so often that uh, I think of a time when Dorothy Day gave a diamond ring to this poor lady, and someone asked, you know, that could have been sold and they were kind of indignant, and apparently she said something to the effect of, you know, but that person it meant so much to them. She gave it out of love. And I think Hmm. we can have um, these occasions in our life too where we we share with others. I think um, in Luke 12, I love Luke. You know, Luke is really the gospel, I think, of the poor. But um, Luke 12 is another chapter where you'll find quite a bit. Um, And then you could think of Luke 10, uh, is maybe one of the most important chapters for the modern church. The Second Vatican Council is modeled, it said, it, it spoke of itself as being modeled on a spirituality of the Good Samaritan. Hmm. And in Luke 10, uh, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, you know, we could, there are other passages we could go to. I like to focus on the passages of Jesus, uh, because I truly feel that... Uh, you know, Jesus's life is the best pedagogy. When we look at Jesus's life more than any other part of Scripture, we discover how life should be. And, you know, I actually like people asking, what would Jesus do? Yeah. I think that's that can be good if it's informed well. You know, as you're getting, as you're contemplating going on a cruise to Alaska with, you know, uh, various bible teachers you might ask yourself would jesus be on this extravagant wasteful cruise you know we uh, we were able uh, blessed i guess to go to a um, bible conference earlier this year we've talked about it we've nicknamed it the bell tower because there was it was at a very extravagant place in you know not the not the most wealthy part of the world, but there was certainly not too far from the church. Um, some poverty that we, we um, saw certainly where we stayed. It was in a a more uh, rundown part of town. But um, when we were there, you know, it was uh, we. I just remember that there was so many um, so many things focused on making money whether that be from not recording anything, any of the talks, because it might interfere with their recording of it, but you could buy each talk for $15 a piece, which, I mean, they weren't that great of talks, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> yeah, but, I I mean, uh, but it certainly wasn't <laughs> worth, we already paid 160 we got yeah. in for free as missionaries, but... We already, you people had already paid a hundred and sixty dollars to hear these talks then to pay fifteen apiece to get the talks then the meal plan I mean by the end it, it was just like it kinda of felt like Sprint Airlines you know it, you go on Sprint Airlines it's like every single thing on the airline you have to pay for can I use the restroom here that's gonna be there's like a quarter slot you know you're looking for <laughs> or you know I could have a drink five dollars that's what it kinda of felt like and I still remember one of our missionary sisters couldn't find her name tag, and um, and the security kind of kept her out. And I just thought, my God, like imagine if somebody actually wanted to come in and and hear the gospel, you know that you know, and they didn't have the hundreds of dollars to be able to afford to hear it. It it just was again sad. Is that what Jesus would do? I couldn't help but think, no, a resounding no that might offend people but no I don't think Jesus would do that I don't think a mother Teresa would do that you know um, I these are issues that are very close to my heart because I have discovered so often that uh, you know I we have done mission appeals this year where everyone drives into their church which is down in a black neighborhood that no one wants to live in anymore I can't help but think it's not just because it's poor or dangerous those are like the easy answers but i think it's probably also because there's black people there uh and you know people makes them uncomfortable uh you know it's just there's th- these are issues that need to be talked about they're issues that jesus talked about jesus dealt with race you know in fact the hero in the good samaritan story mm-hmm. is a samaritan yeah. which were kind of like one of the people that you could be legitimately racist against if you were a jew uh in jesus's time certainly mm. you could but that becomes the hero uh you know I, i'm on my i'm on a soapbox here but let me just <laughs> end my my saying i know we're running out of time with yeah right. a quote from you know can't we can't go through without a quote from pope francis Yeah. And this is from one of my favorite works uh, that's ever come out of the church, Evangelii Gaudium, uh, from section 54, and and Pope Francis says, and this is very uh, poignant because we have, you know, the Dow dropped uh, 600 and something points, I guess, yesterday, so this is great. It says, To sustain a lifestyle which excludes others, or to sustain enthusiasm for that selfish ideal, a globalization of indifference has developed. Almost without being aware of it, we end up being incapable of feeling compassion at the outcry of the poor, weeping for other people's pain, and feeling a need to help them, as though all this were someone else's responsibility and not our own. The culture of prosperity deadens us. We are thrilled if the market offers us something new to purchase. In the meantime, all those lives stunted for lack of opportunity seem a mere spectacle. They fail to move us. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. Um,
0: Thank you. Thank you, Pope Francis. Um, I think uh you know it, it if you this message is 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 meant to move us um and um we we again reiterate the the motivation here to talk about all of these things is um is to share with you the the joy of the gospel the joy that we Um, that we've found, and it's, it's, and this is part of it. Part of it is the joy of loving the poor. (laughs) The joy of loving the poor that we see, and that we've seen, and it's, um, I, I think that's the whole reason that we did this podcast, was like, okay, let's do, let's do a podcast using the, our missionary perspective on things, and, and from that perspective it we are absolutely required to talk about this about about poverty and material goods um and uh thank you for uh for listening and um jonathan you want to close this with a with a
1: prayer yeah i would um in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen and this is a prayer I I pray often from the very end of Joy of the Gospel Mary Virgin and Mother you who moved by the Holy Spirit welcome the word of life into the depths of your humble faith as you gave yourself completely to the eternal one help us to say our own yes to the urgent call as pressing as ever to proclaim the good news of Jesus star of the new evangelization Help us to bear radiant witness to communion, service, ardent and generous faith, justice and love of the poor, that the joy of the gospel may reach to the ends of the earth, illuminating even the fringes of our world. Mother of the living gospel, wellspring of happiness for God's little ones, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thanks for listening. We love you. Um, Talk to you later. Bye. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you.
1: May God bless you.